Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. And this week, our guest is the Director of Engineering and Product Development for SNS Cycle, Jeff Bailey. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. Moto America is the home of AMA Superbike and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series with some of the best motorcycle racing on two wheels. Rewatch every round of the 2022 series and catch all the action from each race with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. Look for a complete 2023 schedule coming soon at MotoAmerica.com. And be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real time series updates. So, Dave, what do you think about the motocross of donations? Did not disappoint one bit, did it? Not at all. They had uh, great conditions, uh, all things considered, with the rain, but uh, good on USA for bringing it home, man. It's been 11 long years, and uh, I was so happy to see it, man. Everybody was pumped. Yeah, pumped is an understatement. I mean, it was just absolutely chaotic, insane, that the celebrations after the USA team won. But uh, I have to say, you know, like it was... It was a little bit touch and go there a little bit. I, mean, I could tell they were probably going to wrap it up, but there's you never know what's going to happen in the motocross of nations. And of course, we had some rain thrown in on Saturday night. So track completely changed. Um, to me, like Tomac and Sexton both looked like they rode a little tight. I don't know what you thought, Dave, but and rightfully so. They have a, obviously a lot of pressure on their shoulders, you know, ha- not having won this thing since 2011. But uh, Justin Cooper, I have to give him accolades. The guy seemed like he really stepped up. People were saying they thought maybe he was the weak link, but man, he did what he had to do. He was strong, winning the MX2 class overall. Looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and beat some fast riders at the same time. You know, Eli uh, probably didn't know he was at the Motocross Nations in that first moto because he just basically checked out. But maybe he woke up on that second moto and he he had a little bit rougher time going against uh, some of the fastest guys in the world, really. But uh, yeah, hats off to the team. Consistency wins. You throw away your your worst moto, and and to score that few points, sixteen points in that event is is uh, pretty close to record breaking. And I'm just happy that the Chamberlain Trophy is back in the USA, where it's been for a long, long time, and uh, kind of showed the world that motocross is alive and well in the U.S. I think there were seven AMA riders on the podium over the course of the event, so just kind of shows you that the talent is here. And uh, when they put their mind to it, they can uh, beat the best in the world. Yeah, I think I'm hoping that this uh, and I, I think I can I could tell already just from seeing the atmosphere at the race this year that I think this has reignited the USA's passion for going to this race. And next year it's going to be in France. 
I even heard the French team talking like, no, next year it's going to be in our backyard. So Dale, the Wasner booth was right next to Team France in the pits across from HRC. So we had like this perfect spot to observe all the cool stuff going on. So You were there then? I didn't know you went. No, I didn't go. Bob went. He was... He's sending me pictures and giving me reports all weekend, even though they had shitty cell service. Dude, I can't. I mean, as much as I love that, like, I don't know if I have the energy to deal with like a couple days of that because it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it is, especially if you're working it. Yeah. We're not young men anymore. And that's for the young people in the business. <laughs> I, I spent enough summers. I mean, doing it sober is harder. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I spent enough summers <laughs> sitting in a field handing out decals. And I'm like, <laughs> it's time to, yeah. time to do other things. And of course, you know, the French team, as expected, was right in there for the overall. Um, same thing with uh, Australia. And uh, boy, Jet Lawrence, what an amazing 450 debut. Wins the open class, wins the opening moto. He just looked like he'd been riding that bike for years. And uh, a couple other standouts to me, though, were Yago Geertz. His first ride on a 450 wins the, uh, I think, did he win the opening motor? I can't remember. But anyway, so Maxim or no, Maxim or no wins the final open moto. So uh, yeah, the competition is there. You know, it's it definitely was not a USA runaway. And uh, like I said, I'm hoping this reignites the fire for Team USA to go back again next year and hopefully uh, get on a streak again like they have in the past. Yeah, let's hope so. Now you mentioned France and uh, honestly, their fastest rider wasn't at the event. Tom Vial, who is the world champion in 250 class MX2, didn't ride for France. So I, you know, you got to look out for these guys next year. I think we talked about it a week ago that uh, they were a team to watch. They're always strong. And when they're on home soil, man, I wouldn't bet against them. So I think USA has got their uh, work ahead of them uh, going uh, into next year's round. Yeah, overall, fantastic event. You know, watched every moto and just uh, was glued to the set. Couldn't get enough of the information, social media, all that good stuff. It was fun watching the uh, celebration videos this morning of Team USA. Looks like they let loose a little bit. I don't think I've ever seen Tomac let loose that much. So it was really cool to see. But uh, looking forward to uh, next year, USA going back and hopefully making it two in a row. Yeah, let's hope so. And we also had another big series wrap up this weekend in Moto America about uh, Jake Gagne repeating his champion in that class. Definitely looked strong all weekend. I think that last uh, last race, he kind of backed it in. Cam Peterson took the win, but good to see. I mean, Jake Gagne and Yamaha, they've been dominating for so long. And uh, hats off to Danilo Petrucci racing all those new tracks this year and coming in second in the series. Pretty cool racing down there at Barber. Yeah, I, I did see where I, I saw a rumor or I read a rumor that there's a possibility that uh, Petrucci might not even be back next year. So I'm, I'm hoping he does, you know, with uh, Cameron Bobier coming back. I, mean, I think it's going to be an, an absolutely fantastic 2023 season. Um, so yeah, Jake Gagne going for his third title. Of course, uh, you know, Petrucci's back. He'll be that much better knowing all the tracks. And of course, you know, Skoltz and Peterson, I mean, Peterson went in that last race there. He looked really strong. And same thing with Skoltz. I mean, there's going to be five guys next year in that series that's going to make it even better. Yeah, add Cam Bobier into the mix. And some other honorable mentions. Got a shout out to Anthony Mazziato, who was on the show not too long ago. Uh, brought it home third on the season. He was tied in points with uh, Jody Berry, but I think because of the tiebreakers on wins, slipped him back to third. But Blake Davis did take that Twins, Twins Cup championship. So uh, hats off to Anthony uh, for fighting and battling all year. And uh, also friend of the show, Kayla Yakov, takes home third in Junior Cup. So pretty long season. She won a few events, which was pretty cool. And I'm uh, pretty excited to see what she's going to do next year. Yeah, that was impressive. Of course, you know, Cody Wyman and Gus Rodeo tying and the season points with, you know, Wyman getting the win uh, based on, I think he had more more race wins overall. But 
But yeah, Kayla, Kayla Yakov comes within eight points of taking the title. And she just seemed like she had a lot of momentum at the end of the season, ended up winning Saturday's race. And I think she got second or third on Sunday. But yeah, definitely on the up and up. And it's going to be interesting to see where her career takes her going forward. And probably the biggest event of the weekend we didn't talk about yet, Dale, the Pit Bike of Nations. And USA has brought home another title in uh, Brian Villopoto, I think uh, Willie Browning and um, Carson Brown were uh, the three-man team for USA. They beat France. Same as uh, in the motocross of nations. Kind of funny how they paralleled each other. Yeah, I saw that. It looked like it was a, a good time. Of course, on Saturday night there, I think they do it at their night track, which is up in the front of where the Redbud, you know, national track is. And it just looked like, you know, a, as expected, it just looked like a riot. You know, everybody having a good time. And from what I understand, I, I, I listened to an interview with Bidos, Rob Bidos, and he said that all the bikes were like identically prepared. So there was no weirdness going on. Nobody could show up with a you know, like a, a super rocket ship bike. So really it came down to who was the most talented. And then of course, you know, uh, the U.S. team took it. And uh, what a weekend though for U.S., you know, pit bike and motocross foundation champions. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, just what I mentioned, uh, Moto Zilli, who is the supplier of the pit bikes for that event, is my local dealer. And uh, <laughs> wow. it's actually where I picked, that's uh, the guy I bought my Royal Enfield 650 from. So Good group of guys down there, Moto Zilli. Uh, he supports it every year. I think it's a big deal. He's got a uh, good tie-in with Rob Bidas, and uh, I think they do a great job putting that event on. And I think that was the beginning of the partying for the weekend because it got pretty loud in, uh, in the campground there at uh, Redbud on Saturday night. There had to be some rough Sunday mornings for a lot of people, I would imagine, and Monday mornings because uh, after winning that, you can only imagine how late they partied into Sunday night. And I think they even said on the TV announcing, maybe Jason Wygant said it, but he's like, there's going to be a lot of people missing work on Monday, so which I would imagine, rightfully so. Stoked to see Team USA take that in and, and both classes, so you know what a weekend. Yeah, our guy here is still uh, power washing our uh, pop-up tent from, uh, from attending, so uh, cleanup continues on. It was uh, kind of muddy there on Sunday, but still, good time. Hats off to USA, man. Great event. Definitely. Not much else going on, though. Like I, I had a pretty, pretty uneventful weekend, just mainly watched the races, but went for an awesome ride on Friday, and just kind of getting used to the old Royal Enfield Himalayan, loving that bike. It's weird. I, comparing that to my Triumph 1200, like it's such a mindset change. You get on the 1200, there's buku horsepower, and then I get on the Himalayan, and it's so smooth and mellow and easy to ride. So really enjoying kind of going back and forth on both bikes. What a cool problem to have, right? You go out to yeah. the shop and you go, what am I going to ride today? I kind of got the same problem, but it's too many dirt bikes, not enough street bikes. So uh, it's either take the mini bikes out or go to the racetrack or jump on the street bike. Yeah, my next one I want to try and get is some type of an electric bike just to just to have one or e or either that or a monkey, just something I can ride down to the grocery store or whatever and cruise around just vibing. I just see that cat. I see that cat like bouncing his head back and forth that video of the cat, you know, vibing. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. You're watching too many cat videos That'd on be Facebook. A fun bike to have. It's like been used so many times like anytime someone's vibing they have this cat like going with this bouncing his head back and forth. I'll just send it to you guys. It's like a white cat and you just see its face and its head's bouncing like it's like it's you know bouncing to a, a beat. That's funny. I agree. <laughs> I have the disease bad, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I think that probably is good for this week. I probably should get started with our interview and uh looking forward to uh to speaking with Jeff Bailey from SNS Cycle.
we'd like to give a pit pass vote a welcome to Jeff Bailey. He is the Director of Engineering and Product Development for SNS Cycle and simultaneous the crew chief for the Indian effort, King of the Baggers, uh, who recently won the uh, won the title with Tyler O'Hare. And congrats on the race season, Jeff. I thought uh, really grabbing that number one plate in the season when you guys ran close all year, you had to be pretty excited about that. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It was it was an amazing year. Being able to win that plate in the last day was was pretty awesome. You know, it was a, a long, long season, kind of grueling for me and the whole team, but we we hung in there and got it done in the end. So let me ask, I, since you are the director of engineering product development for SNS, how much time do they give you to, to go do the go do the Indian effort and go to the events and and uh, crew chief for the team? Well, this year it was uh, whatever it took to make it happen. I'd say eighty percent of my year this year was dedicated to this. Which maybe wasn't the best for the SNS side of the business, but we all wanted to bring home the title and whatever it took to get it done. So, what does that mean for SNS to help win that Indian versus Harley showdown there in the King of the Baggers? Because it seemed like it just got more and more serious as the series went on, and you know, like kind of the one-upmanship going on there. But, but yeah, that, that had to have meant a lot to be a part of that process. Yeah, I mean, it was big, not only for Indian, but for SNS too. We've been Indian's partner in their racing efforts, well, for several years. I've been involved with them since 2015 in the various forms of racing that they've done. So it's hard to separate Indian from SNS racing these days. It's it's all one big group and we're all pulling pulling the same direction. And yeah, it started out fun. The The first race at Laguna was a, was a good time. We went out there and won and learned a lot. And then Last year, you know, with a short three-race season, it was still more of an exhibition. Uh, but this year, with seven races head-to-head against Harley, it was it was real serious. So I was looking at some of the championship photos from just a few weeks ago when Tyler O'Hare took that championship, and in in a couple of photos, I counted anywhere from eleven to fourteen people in the photo, in addition to Tyler which to me just shows how much of a team effort it really is to run one of these race teams. So tell me a little bit about that, like how much of a, a group effort it was to win that championship. Yeah, there's there's a core group of people that are you know working on the bikes every day. Uh, I've got, including myself, uh, seven people on our, our traveling team. And then there's two to three other guys here that help back here at SNS calibration and fabrication that are involved in our daily meetings. But then outside of that group, there's three or four guys from the Polaris Indian side as well. You know, the engineers and uh, guys that are helping us out from their side. So it's a kind of feels like a small group, but yeah, when you see us on a picture, there's, there's a lot of us, but every person's got a little bit to contribute and everybody has their job to do. And that's what it took. Definitely a lot of moving parts. That's for sure. No, I, I also understand. I think when I was there at the at the your facility and got the tour, I remember hearing something about when Indian was first developing the FT R twelve hundred project, the concept. They came to you guys first to help with the design process, probably even more than that. But if you could maybe tell us a little bit about that situation, and I would imagine that has a lot to do with that. You know, just that relationship you guys do have. You know, with Indian. Yeah. So we had, we did the chassis and vehicle testing development on the FTR 750 back in 2016. And then after we got that up and racing with the factory teams in 2017, they came back to us and they wanted us to build a like a concept vehicle of an FTR 1200. And I'm I'm pretty sure at the time they already had the, the 1200 project rolling along, but they gave us a scout engine and told us to build a, a flat track inspired street bike concept for them. And we call it the FTR 1200 Custom around here. 
The bike's actually just sitting right outside my office. It's still here at SNS. And it was a bike that we put together in just a few months. We designed the, the frame, the swing arm, gas tank, did all the fuel injection system. And, you know, it was, I think it was released at ICMA. I forget what year. And then a short time later, they came out with the 1200. So we weren't really involved with the production bike, but we built a bike that kind of gave the public a sneak peek at what the 1200 was going to become. Yeah, it's cool. And you've got a, a hefty crew of fabricators and dreamers on the team at s and that makes me want to ask the questions about developing that Challenger for road racing. I know a lot went into to get that bike on the racetrack, just like I'm sure Harley went through the same things, uh, heavy modifications in order to make that bike into a race bike. What was probably some of the harder or more difficult things that you guys had to do to make it, I guess, race worthy? Like you said before, it was it's been an ongoing development and just escalation of, of performance between both us and Harley. We'd get something figured out and, you know, other part of the bike, whether it's the horsepower handling would catch up and, or brakes, and we just have to keep driving up where. As far as what was the, the hardest thing, it's hard to say. You know, we made a big leap in horsepower over the winter last year, and that's how we kind of showed up to Daytona and surprised the guys on, on the performance of the bike. But then when we got to that power level, you know, the, the chassis was, was lacking and it really took to the last couple of races of this season before we got the chassis back under control and, and matching where the horsepower was. So it's just, it's kind of been back and forth all year long. I think we ran four different styles or brands of wheels this year, trying to work on wheel stiffness, um, just everything. We're always working on making each part better. It's got to be a like a never-ending process, especially when you're at the racetrack. But I think what you mentioned, though, I thought Daytona kind of set the tone for you guys for the year to go out there and, and win both races and the challenge race on top of that with Tyler and Jeremy both. I thought Jeremy's win was amazing. That draft in the in the final corner to the finish line just it just had to have the crew going absolutely apeshit over what you guys just did taking those bikes around those high banks at those speeds and pulling that off. It was, it was pretty cool. I, you guys had to be pretty excited about that. Yeah. It actually gives me chills right now. Just having you re-explain it, what, what went on. It was, it was amazing. You know, we knew we were going in there with more horsepower than probably people were going to expect us to have. So we knew that would be solid, but you still have to go out on the track and make it happen. And the riders were phenomenal that weekend. Daytona isn't a place you can go test for and be prepared for. So we just had to go out there and be ready to adapt that whole weekend. And if you remember, it was raining and the, you know, the, the schedule was always changing. I think that one session we had like five minutes notice before they were, we were supposed to be out there and we had the bike half torn apart and had to throw it back together and go. So it took a lot to make that weekend happen. And it was definitely special standing in the winter circle at Daytona is, you know, something I never imagined I would be doing other than on a tour at, Day at the Speedway. So it was pretty cool. We'd like to take a break from the interview right now and pay some bills. And here's a word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, another association you guys have, we spoke about it a little bit earlier, was the, you know, the Royal Enfield Build Train Race Program. And uh, tell us a little about what the uh, involvement is between SNS and uh, Royal Enfield. 
Yeah, we've been really good, you know, partners or whatever you want to call it with Worth Royal Enfield going back even before they launched the the 650. We uh, built a concept kind of drag bike for them. And then that turned into us. Uh, we didn't build the bike, but we ran, helped them run a bike at Bonneville with Kayla Rivas back in 2018. And then we've done some other little special projects with them. We built the first Himalayan FT411 flat track bikes for them. And that turned, I think we've built 15 or 20 of those. Some of them we built, some of them we've sent the parts out to their people like Johnny Lewis. So we've had a great relationship with Royal Enfield. Their North American headquarters is based here in Wisconsin and Milwaukee. So we go back and forth. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's an amazing company when you really start to dig in and learn what, who Royal Enfield is as a world motorcycle manufacturer. It's it's a great company to be involved with. Yeah, I think uh, Dale and I are both big fans of the brand because we are both owners of Royal Enfield. So uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> I will say I've got a set of your pipes on my 650 and uh, they sound delicious. Um, you mentioned Bonneville and I want to go kind of go back in time a little bit, Jeff, because you are a, a Bonneville a hardcore guy. You've been there many times and uh, went for the 200. I know I think you got over 200. Uh, did you get the red hat eventually? I, I wasn't sure if you did or didn't. Yeah. So that's a, that's a sore subject maybe for me. Is, oh, okay. <laughs> so I've got, I've got records over 200 miles an hour. So to get the red hat is actually a separate organization uh, called the 200 mile an hour club. And they've got class minimums that vary, you know, could be all over the place, anywhere 205, 215, 220, whatever, uh, for their different classes. So although I've got a record up over 200 miles an hour in the SETA, uh, I'm not officially a 200 mile an hour club member. Uh, but yeah, I've raced out there. I think the first time I went out was in 07. I've personally ridden Buells out there with various S&S engines. And I think the fastest one-way speed is 207 miles an hour. And that's on an old... Buell S2 chassis with a 167 cubic inch SNS motor in it. So lots of horsepower and I guess just enough chassis to get down the track. Uh, that's awesome. And that's a lot to hold on to, I can imagine. What are the forces like? I know you kind of talked about it in some interviews, but kind of give us a hint what, uh, what to expect when you get up above 180. What's going on with your arms, holding onto the bike, keeping your helmet down? What's, what's going on? So I've ran the bike both with a fairing and without a fairing. And up over 180, 190, 200 with the fairing on there. Yeah, there's a lot going on, a lot of wind noise, but it's it, it wasn't that crazy really until in comparison, I took the fairing off to try to go after a couple open records the last day of some of those meets and without even changing gearing or anything, I think it went 192, 193, somewhere in that range. And over 190 without a fairing is really incredible. Um, again, my bike wasn't really laid out to run it open. So it was everything I could do to hold onto the bike. The wind would suck my knees out and I'd tuck my knees in. And then I'd realize that my chest was coming up off the tank and I was have to pull myself back down. So it was, it was a handful to hold onto without a fairing on. And I think both of those meets where I set those open records, I, we just made two passes, just a down and back, uh, you know, it's an average to set a record. So made two records and the guys wanted to run again because they know we could make it go faster. And I said, no, that's, that's good. We got the record. Let's load up and go home. So with a fairing on, it wasn't too bad, but open over 190 is, is a handful for sure. That's awesome. And some of my favorite things to read were, uh, I think going into the bub event prior to that, some of the modifications that you guys did ad hoc to run the bike without a fairing, you know, you talked about duct tape and in uh, cardboard and 
welding some uh, sledgehammer heads onto uh, onto the bike to get the weight where you want it. That's that's cool stuff. All that on the spot modifications to ma- be able to make the run. Yeah, we had to add some weight to the bike. It was having a hard time getting traction, so we ran down to the hardware store and bought I don't remember how many three or four five pound sledgehammers and cut the handles off and welded on some sheet metal and made brackets and bolted them onto the bike and and it worked. Well, not to mention that, you know, from what I understand, the salt flats aren't necessarily fully flat either. So you've got all these different variables when you're going that fast, which I think, in fact, this year they might have even canceled it because they got so much rain down there. But I can't even imagine what it's like going across those. And I think, like you said, it's not necessarily all the way flat all the way across there, is it? No, there's some, there's some bumps and there's the wind was actually the worst problem because wind and the weather out there, you're anywhere from three to five miles away from the the finish line from where you take off. So what the weather is where you're leaving from isn't where what it is at the other end. And there was a couple times where I got blown off course, you know, up over 180 miles an hour. And that's when it gets real exciting. Um, I think on my YouTube channel, there's some video of it and uh, getting blown off course because they, they drag the main course smooth. But when you get off course, there's pressure ridges and it's it's rough and the bike doesn't really have any brakes either. So you're, you're really just along for the ride at that point. And that was probably the closest I had to a pucker moment out there on the salt flats is, is getting blown off course. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if I'd consider it uh, exciting uh, from my perspective, but yeah, definitely some pucker moments. I would assume for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, recently was able to come out and visit SNS as part of the uh, Royal Enfield Scram 411 intro. And so I was able to make it out to your facility and it's just a gorgeous part of the country for riding. And uh, just we're curious, though, what's it like living there near the farmhouse there in Viola and living in that part of the country? Because it seems like it's pretty remote out there. Even to get people to go work there, it's probably got to be tough in some cases. But I think once you see it, you know, and you've been in the area, like it's it's a gorgeous area. Yeah, it's kind of like a Willy Wonka's factory out here out in the middle of nowhere. I know I've talked to all sorts of people who come out here and visit and they turn turn the corner off of 56 on a highway G here and their GPS says they're a quarter mile from SNS and you can't even see the place at that point. So they think they're lost, but then you find your way up here to the valley and it's just beautiful. This right now it's September and leaves are going to start changing here any day now. And it's, it's really my favorite time of the year out here. This late September, early October, it's, it's, it's beautiful here. And yeah, getting people to come out here, you know, come, experience SNS to decide if they want to work here is always a challenge. We fight all the time, but for the right guy in the right situation, it's just an amazing place to work. You know, we can hop on a bike here at, at lunchtime and go, uh, go for a little test ride up around the hills and the corners and great rides, great roads. I'm sure you get to f- taste some of those when you're out here. Nobody really bothers us. We can, you know, run our dinos late in the night and you know, fire up race bikes on the weekends or in the evening and, and nobody but the deer really seemed to care. But yeah, the, this was the original family farm. This George and Marge Smith moved up here in the uh, late 60s, early 70s and did farming and ranching. And eventually that went away and the motorcycle parts just kept growing and the factory grew. And now we're all just tucked here in the in the valley. Yeah, I think I even learned a, a cool stat too, where like, don't some of your uh, your actual race team staff live there in that in the old farmhouse there on site, right? Yeah, Dave Zanotti and Michelle DeSalvo, our, our flat track team, are living in the old farmhouse and then uh, work up the shop. And <laughs> Dave jokes in the morning, oh, the commute was hell, couldn't can, can hardly get to work. You know, he just walks <laughs> up the hill and pets the cat that he adopted that somebody dropped off out here and 
he, he loves living out here and he's an amazing guy to have around the shop too. I don't know if you know much about Zanotti, but he's been a flat track guru for, for decades now and just a wealth of information. He helped us out with the bagger program too early on, getting our suspension systems up and going for those first few races. I met quite a few people when I was there. Of course, there was a big group of us, but um, the one thing I was like, we missed out on because we got a big rainstorm the night before, but the, there was talk of us being able to spin some laps on the, the Scram 411 on your flat track there, which we didn't get to do because it was muddy, but darn, that would have been awesome. So you have a flat track right there on site too, right? Yeah, that's uh, something that, you know, I never met George Smith, but uh, I've been told that there was nothing that was ever going to stop him when when he needed to get something done. And that was kind of the same way this flat track came to exist is we needed a place to to test bikes. And then we had a bunch of people here that worked for SNS that were interested in learning and riding themselves. So a few summers ago, uh, we made friends with actually a truck driver who drives the flat track truck is also uh, a concrete contractor. So we got him to bring out his bulldozer and some equipment. We carved out a track in one of our employees land and leased it from him. And yeah, now we've got a little speed ranch, we call it. It's probably about a quarter mile oval. But yeah, I took my kids down there just a few weeks ago on a Sunday and we rode bikes around and it's a neat little place to to go ride. For sure. And I think racing is in the blood of uh, just about everybody at SNS. You can get that vibe from going there and visiting with you folks. And the one thing I wanted to ask you kind of from your professional capacity on your full-time job, I guess, something I always taken from SNS is the engineering is extremely close to the market. And I think that benefits the company in a great way. But it makes me want to ask the question, how, how do you come up with the next project that you're going to offer to the market? Is it just something that happens organically or are you actively pursuing certain avenues and certain product lines to, uh, to kind of grow that SNS brand? It's tough. Um, we have a group of guys, we call it the, the product committee, and we get together and we brainstorm ideas and we analyze things and try to predict what's going to be the next best thing for SNS. Um, you know, we're watching what other vendors are doing too, of course. But really, some of our greatest successes have been just things that brewed up in house um, organically, or, you know, sometimes when Harley has released a product and it it has some flaws in it from day one. That's that's our biggest opportunity, again, before my time. But think back to the 80s, early 90s, when the carburetors that were coming on Harley bikes weren't that good. And, and SNS came out with the Super E and Super G and you know sold tens of thousands of those things. And it was kind of by luck. Even our gear drive cams, some of our other most popular products, for, gear drive cams for twin cams, that kind of stemmed from Harley the original twin cam drive system having some flaws and the gear drive fixed it. So sometimes we can do our best to predict what we want, but other times it's a little bit dumb luck. Most recently we've, it's a real simple thing, but we've changed how we're selling a bunch of our M8 and twin cam cams and oil pumps and push rods. And we kitted all those things together into one easy to buy package and just saw tremendous growth in our uh, sales of of those products just because we bundled them together into one group that it's easy for the customer to understand what he needs and what he's going to get and and the shop too so sometimes it's the simple things you know other things we put a lot of work into and and they don't all pan out you know we do our best every different direction we we can no and i think what you mentioned the, the bundling that's you know you're providing a value to the customer that they don't have to do the calculating and figuring, you've done it for them and you're handing it to them complete. And uh, that goes a long way towards your place in the market. And 
I wanted to ask you the the engine program that you guys launched years ago and ended up in the Morgan car. I wanted to mention that simply because I know Jeff, you took me for a ride in uh, in the Morgan. I think the last time I was up there, which was pretty cool. I, I liken it to uh, riding in a biplane without ever, ever leaving the ground, but pretty cool. Is that engine program still going? I think uh, Morgan still offers the vehicle and I see that uh, your engine's listed on their website. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we're, we're pretty much have wrapped up that engine program. Uh, they bought the last engines from us uh, sometime earlier this year. And although that engine, the X-Wedge, I guess is what we're talking about, never really took off like we anticipated back in, um, I think we launched, it would have been late 08, early 09, about the worst time, you know, from an economic market standpoint to launch a new engine. And it never really found a home until Morgan came along and we got involved with those guys. And yeah, it's just a super neat little vehicle. I've had the chance to travel to Morgan, the factory in England a couple times. And to visit them, it's a lot like the English version of SNS, I would say. It's an old company and maybe we're not the, the most efficient or have the highest level of technology, but really dedicated guys who build a neat product. And like you said, those things, they're super fun to drive and they're going to, I think they're moving on to, uh, you know, a different engine platform if they're going to continue to do that. But yeah, it's, it's been a great program, but just like everything, it kind of has to find its end and move on to the next. So speaking of uh, new products, one of the areas I've noticed you guys have gone into pretty heavily in the last year or so is the, the UTV segment. Um, in fact, you just released a new turbo kit for the KRX models and you have exhaust systems. How did that come about? And I saw where you guys went to the Sand Sports show where it just seems like that market's pretty hard to ignore right now. It just seems to be one of the uh, the growing segments at the moment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mentioned, you know, the committees of people sitting down and looking at numbers and projects, and it's really hard to ignore the UTV segment. Um, there's a lot of those sold, and there's a lot of uh, aftermarket parts sold for those too. And if you look back through our old SNS catalogs, we had parts for Polaris Razors, uh, I don't even know, probably close to 10 years ago now. And for whatever reason, we let that die off at the time. But yeah, we're really trying to get it back up and going again. We've launched uh, exhaust systems earlier this year. We're launching some KRX Kawasaki uh, clutch kits. We've got some other parts for razors coming out. You mentioned the, the KRX 1000 Kawasaki turbo kit. We really just launched that. And that's, we put a ton of work into that. I would say as close to an OEM level kit as the aftermarket could ever come up with. And we could have probably launched it a few months ago or even a year ago, but we wanted to be really good and include everything that the customer is going to need. And, you know, it's, it's a very complete kit with a calibration and a lower compression pistons. We actually drive, do the test driving down there at the speed ranch, uh, the, the racetrack we were mentioning earlier. And the guys would go down there and run that thing all day long and just to try to beat on it as, as much as they can. And I've had a chance to drive it a bunch of times too. And it really wakes up that car. So yeah, we've got a lot of plans to continue to grow in the UTV segment. And I think the opportunities there are just unlimited. Whatever, whatever we can come up with, um, I think it's going to go. I think uh, someone was test driving it when we were there with the Royal Enfield group, because I remember hearing that thing drive away and it sounded mean though. It was, it was so, so tough sounding. Yeah. Um, but to kind of circle back, like the, no matter what, it seems like whatever you guys do, you're going to do it right for one, you know, it's going to be a good performance kit. And it also just seems like racing is what is super important and, and really what drives and what SNS stands for. Would, would that be the case? Or, you know, I'm almost to the point where it's like, 
very much a part of the company DNA even. Yeah, it's, it's, we're, there's just things that like, we can't do this. You're like, how could we not go racing with baggers? You know, that's, this is what we have to do. And, you know, so far with like the Indian challenger performance that we've been working on, on the baggers, not too much of that is carried over to products yet. Uh, we, we've got some things in mind and hopefully it will, but if nothing else, it's helping me train my engineers and designers and fabricators, how to think, how to work quickly. You know, we, we go to a track at, at road America and come back and we need to do a triple clamp and we've got to have it done in a week to go test it before the next race. And we were able to do things like that here this past year where we identify a problem, design a part, uh, call up the machinist out on the shop floor and say we're sending a model down and have a part in our hands in a couple of days. So all those activities and that just whole mentality is great to have to carry over into the design of the other SNS products that we've got going on. So yeah, racing, the DNA definitely jumps into everything else that we're doing here as well. Yeah, and it shows. You can tell with the enthusiasm that you have in your voice and uh, just the fact that you guys are always the, the name that comes to mind. So I got to ask you, uh, Jeff, as we wrap up today, um, got any current projects going on? Any car builds or bike builds in the garage right now? Um, I guess I've, I've got my 79 Mustang that I've had since I was 16. I just tore the master cylinder off it the other day, so I got to get that back up and going. I've got a, it's actually a Buell S3 that I'm working on for a, a guy right now. I'd sold it to him a few years ago, so I guess I'm the warranty on that one too. Um, I don't really have anything else, personal stuff going on right now. This bagger project has just uh, taken every, every bit of time I've had this summer. I can't blame you. You had your hands full, your plate full all summer, and uh, trying to fit the, the home projects in has got to be nearly impossible. So uh, we take these last few moments, Jeff. We always like to ask if there's anybody you want to give a shout out to. I was thinking more specifically around the race team, but in general. I'd like to thank Gary Gray at Indian uh, for giving us the opportunities, not only with this bagger program, but everything. You know, he's been our main contact going back to the early FTR 750 days. So he's kind of our uh, cheerleader there at Indian when he's got some challenge that he needs uh, to make happen. He calls up s and and we figure out how to do it. So Gary's been huge as far as our relationship with Indian. Um, here at s and uh, you know, the family, the Smith family and Scaletta family, uh, Grunbergers for all le letting us do this. You know, it's, it's taken a lot away from the uh, SNS side of it this past year. But again, like I was saying before, to help build up some of the, the younger, newer people in the company and show them what it takes to go be successful, it's been a, it's a great opportunity. So, you know, thank SNS and the family for giving me uh, the opportunities there too. And the job for the last 23 years to, to live out here in this beautiful part of the world and provide for my family. And it's been a great run, but we're not done yet. We're still going. Amen. It's a great story, and uh, we love to see it in this industry. Uh, people who are dedicated to a brand and uh, definitely bringing it home. So, Jeff, really appreciate you taking the time today to spend with us, and uh, congrats again on the race team. And uh, any plans to do it again next year? Is that uh, in the works? Absolutely. One of my guys this morning, we were talking about uh, something new that we're designing for next year, and he's like, "Well, the 23 seasons already started. We got to get going." So, yeah, we're we're full guns already talking about Daytona next year. Awesome. Awesome. And we're looking forward to it. And thanks again, Jeff. We appreciate your time today, man. Thank you, Dave. Dale. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. 
If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and purchase your own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. And I'm Dave Sulecki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.